Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 4. This morning, I want to share a message with you entitled, Drinking from the Right Well. Drinking from the Right Well. Last week, we started a series called Becoming Backyard Missionaries, and so I'm going to pick up from where we left off last week and continue on this week on Becoming Backyard Missionaries, and the sermon title this week is Drinking from the Right, the right Well. You know, I'm going to continue on on Heather's testimonies. There weren't those awesome testimonies of God ministering to people, and that's exciting. Y'all can get excited. It's okay. I said that's exciting. Those testimonies are exciting. I just say, more, Lord, keep it up. I hope, I hope that excites you. Man, I get excited when I, when I hear stories about people driving and, and driving down the road headed one way and, and God interrupting them and they end up mysteriously in our parking lot and coming into service and getting ministered to. I, I love those stories. And maybe you're here this morning and that happened to you. You were driving to wherever else and you ended up in church. Welcome. And uh, you're in good company. And then, you know, the stories of people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and learning, you know, not understanding it at all, but learning what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and going deeper. I love all of that. And then uh, last week, I'll add on to the testimonies. We had four or five people last week give their lives to Christ, make decisions for Christ in service. So that's awesome. It's awesome. God is at work, and I won't start... I won't start preaching my next series that starts in a couple weeks, but God is at work at celebration. That was weak. I said God is at work at celebration. You know, one of the things, if you haven't figured it out yet, Heather and I get very excited about the things of God. If you haven't figured us out yet, we get very excited about His presence. We love His presence. We love, we love seeing people get ministered to and lives transformed. That's really what we're all about. It's not about us. It's not about our ministry, our church, or our kingdom. We really want to see people transformed and see lives changed. And so we will, we, we will make every opportunity available. We will do everything in our power to see people discipled, see people people step out into leadership, see people grow in Christ, and, and see people fulfill their God-given destiny. It's awesome. And uh, we've been here for a week. This, this Sunday, this is today, actually makes a week that we've officially been here. I guess unofficially we've been here longer, but uh, officially we've been here a week, and we are excited. We've been meeting with our staff and getting to know the building, getting to know the area, and we're slowly getting unpacked and getting settled in, and so uh, we appreciate all of those who came and helped us uh, unload our moving trailer and getting settled. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so we appreciate all that. But John chapter 4, we're going to pick up today. And John 4, I love this story, the story of the woman at the well. And you know, I believe that God uh, wants to do something supernatural in your life. He wants to do something not only in your life, but He wants to do something through your life. There are people that you and I are around every day that God has ordained for us to minister to. There are people that you work with. There are people that you go to school with. There are people that, that you come in contact with every day, next door neighbors, that God intends for you and I to minister to them. 
God has, God has so orchestrated our lives and the details of our lives that, that there are people around us that are hurting, that are in desperate need for a touch from God in their life. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, I don't have anything to offer them. I don't know what to say to them. I wouldn't know what, what to begin to say to them. I, I don't know what, how to answer their, their arguments, their questions. Their this. And, and how many of you know we start going down our list of, uh, of things in our brain that would keep us from reaching out to people around? us. But I, I promise you that if you'll make a commitment to just step out, and maybe all you have to say is, you know what, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Or maybe you could say something like this. There's a postcard in everyone's bulletin this morning. You could take that postcard to your neighbor or to that person and say, you know what, and in a couple of weeks, our church is having a barbecue to welcome our new pastors. And, and I would really like to invite you to come be a part of that barbecue. I'm not asking you to come join our church. You know, if, they're, if they, well, I already go to church or, or you know, I, I used to go to church or any of those things. Well, I'm not asking you to come join our church. I'm just asking you to come to a barbecue. Now, who doesn't like a good barbecue? There's going to be inflatables and, and face painting for the kids. There will be children's activities during service. And then after service, there will be things for the children. And we'll eat food and have a good time. And you can maybe meet our new pastors. That's simple. It's that easy. And, and, and God begins in those simplest of things to begin to work supernaturally in people's lives. And so I want to encourage you, as we take a look at this, this story from Scripture today... Ask God to show you who it is in your life that you have a divine appointment with. You know, I believe that God sets divine appointments for each of us. How many of you believe that God has a divine appointment for you? We, there, there are divine appointments every day in our life. I remember one divine appointment that God had orchestrated for me specifically. It was about a year ago. I'll share this one uh, particular, but it was about a year ago, and I, I had received word about a new person in our congregation, and, and, and our church was large. Uh, Heather and I were responsible ourselves for about five or 600 people, and uh, so we had levels of leadership, and, and ideally what was, what was to happen in those levels of leadership is if there was a new person in the church, one of the leaders would con connect with one of those new people. They, their job, the leader's job, was to connect with new people. And as they connected, they would get them involved in their small group, their home group, and they'd begin to build relationship with them. And as they got connected and developed a relationship uh, within that small group, those leaders would let us know who these people were. And so one of my leaders came to me and said, hey, I just want to let you know about this new guy that's coming to our church. Um, you've probably seen him, and I had. He was... He was uh, you couldn't miss him. He was, he was a big, tall, uh, African-American guy, black guy. He was just, you couldn't miss him. And he was loud. He was very loud. And I, I, I love it. He was just all excited about Jesus. And, and so I'm like, I got to meet that guy. And so I said, well, I, let me go to his house. I want to go meet him. And uh, so he says, okay, well, here's his address. Well, his address was, um, and I can say this from, uh, because I'm from New Orleans, he was in the ghetto. I mean, he was in, he, it was a part of town that, I probably should not be going, if you catch what I'm saying. And I, I knew that if I went into that area, I, one, it was going to be dangerous, and two, um, it would make a clear statement. But I said, you know what, I don't care about all of that. I'm going, and I'm going to go meet this guy. So I, I drive up in the neighborhood, and I'm watching and observing where I'm going and watching where I'm going, and I walk up. He's on house arrest. Can't get out of his house. He's on house arrest. And so I go up, knock on the door, and he comes to the door, his 
he was a pot dealer. He was a marijuana dealer. He comes to the door, and he had the look. Man, he, he had the, the whole marijuana dealer look going on. He had the weave. He had the, I mean, he, he, if you could just picture whatever stereotype you have in your head, you just assume that because that's probably what he looked like. And uh, so I, 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 can I come in and tell him, I'm Pastor Zach, and we go in, and we start having, we have an hour or two conversation. He's telling me about what God's been doing in his life, how he got born again. He's not dealing drugs anymore, how he got set free, and, and so thankful for our church, so thankful for the small group, the home group that he's in, and all that God was doing. It was exciting. I mean, I was, I was eating it up. I mean, that was, that to me, that is the life. There is no other life but to see God glorified in, in, in humans, in, in, in our messed up affairs, to see God glorified in the middle of all that. It's awesome. And so he begins to share how he feels called to ministry and how, what God's doing. And, you know, you you look at this guy, and most of us would, would sit in that kitchen talking to him, would look at him and say, you called to ministry? Really? You know, it was that type of situation. But I knew that God was at work in his life, and so I said, I want you to begin to, once you get off house arrest and you're able to do more, I want you to, I want you to come to our church, and I want you to work with me. I want you to do things with me. I said, I want you to volunteer. I said, I want you to come, and you, anytime your small group leader is doing something, I want you there helping him and being right beside him, doing everything he's doing. You may not know how to do it, just follow. Just try your best. And so he did. That's exactly what he did. And I said, every altar call, if there's an altar call, I want you at that altar call. I want you having hands laid on you. I want you prayed for. I want you in every service, everything. I want you to get inundated. If you're called to ministry, we're going we're gonna to see it real quick. And that's what he did. So he came every altar call. He was in line. He had hands laid on him. He was in small groups. He was at the church helping. Anytime the doors were open, he was there. And right before we moved here, he's now, now he's on staff at our church in New Orleans. He came on staff. He was part of our staff in our Bible school, um, go, becoming uh, in Bible school to become a minister, doing all the right things. It was awesome to see how God had transformed his life. Before we left town, he said, Pastor Zach, you may not remember this story. He said, but the time, remember the time you came to my house? And he starts to tell me the story. He said, that meant so much to me. He said, you were a white guy. Not only were you a white guy, you were a white preacher. And you were coming to my house. He said, you don't understand how much that meant. My family, first off, my family goes to church. And they would never have had a white guy, especially a white preacher, come into their home. They're, they're African American. Their black preacher wouldn't go to their home. He said, so this is totally beyond cultural difference for me. He said, I didn't understand that. He said, and then you sat down and talked to me, and you cared about me, and you told me how to get involved and how to get connected. It was a divine appointment. This young man, has, his life has been transformed from that, just that one simple one, two-hour meeting that I had with him. And so I want to encourage you. There are people that God has orchestrated divine appointments for in your life. And it may be that all you need to do is just sit and listen. All you may need to do is just sit there and ask questions and let those people talk to you and say, you know what, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I'm praying for you. And you know what, you're more than welcome to come to church with me. I don't have all the answers, but I know one that does. And, and we'll pray about this. And Jesus, Jesus can touch your life. Jesus has the answers for your life. So in John chapter 4, we pick up the story of the woman at the well. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. 
That word needed to go is, is exactly what I was just talking about. In the Greek, it means destined to go. It means a destiny to go. It was Jesus. He didn't have to go that way to get where he was going. It was God ordained that he went that way. So, so we know from the outset of this, beginning of this scripture, the outset of this story, that Jesus had a destiny. There was a, there was a destiny for this person that he was about ready to meet. In verse 5, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? In verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now I love this. And Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. He says, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And she's, you know, she's trying to cover up her, her issues. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25 says, The woman said to him, I know, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And at this point His disciples came and they marveled that he was talking with this woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And then the woman left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And I want to skip down. His disciples, you know the story. The disciples come out and they're asking, well, Jesus, you got to eat, man. You're, you're tired. You're hungry. We just ate. You got to eat. Jesus says, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In verse 38, I'll close with this verse of reading. It says, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Jesus, I just thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would make this word alive and real to us today. God, that we would see the need of those around us. Father, that we wouldn't get in such a routine or a hurry that we would miss the cries of the hurting and the people that are broken around us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, the first thing that I want to point out as we walk through the scripture, I just want to point out a couple of things to you this morning. First off, Jesus comes into the city, into Samaria. He comes into the city, and the Bible says in verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. And, and this, is, this is an important phrase, and I just want to dig around a little bit in scripture and point out a couple of things to you about this well. The first thing, if you'll flip over with me to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12 in verse 14, we'll pick up this well, the area where this well was, where, was where Abram went and heard from God this promise. In verse 14, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length, its breadth, for I give it to you. And Abram moved his tent and he went down to Mamre. And so God spoke the same place where this woman at the well was, this well, Jacob's well, was the same area where God spoke to Abram and said, I will, I will give you this, I will give you this land. I will, I will give you, increase your descendants and I will do something supernatural in and through your life. And then over in Genesis 33, this is the same place where Jacob purchases land. In verse Chapter 33, verse 19, it says, And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. And what that means, that El Elohi Israel is the strong God, the covenant God of Israel. In other words, what God is saying here, and I believe it's symbolic that Jesus would sit here at this well. Of all places that Jesus could have went and all places that Jesus would have sat, he's at this well where Abram had a promise from God, where Jacob had a promise from God. In other words, the, the, the promises of God for your life, for your family, for your friends are sure. Whatever God has spoken, that will he accomplish in your life. That, that name of the place that, that Jacob called that place, El Elohi Israel, the strong God, the covenant God of Israel. What covenant, what promise has God given you this morning? Maybe he's given you a promise or a word for your family that you and your household shall be shall be. Shall I'll be saved. Maybe he's spoken to you about uh, ministries or things that you need to step out in faith and trusting with. Maybe he's spoken to you about your finances. Whatever it is, whatever the promise of God is for your life, he's faithful to accomplish that which he said he would do. You may be here this morning, you'll say, you know, I, I don't believe that, that God is going to hold to his promise. I, I've stood on this promise from God for years and, and it's just never come to pass and things are only getting worse. Can I tell you this morning that the same God that spoke thousands of years before to Abraham, that I, will, that I will give you the descendants, I will give you and make your descendants a blessing to the nations, that I will use you in a supernatural way, is the same God that sat and spoke personally with that woman at the well. That same God, that same Jesus that came and sat down at the well with the woman and began to speak life into her was the same God that spoke life to Abram thousands of years before. It's the same God who's speaking life over your dead situations this morning. It's the same God who's speaking life over your dead neighbors, your dead family members, those that you think are lost and hopeless and beyond reaching. It's the same Jesus who sat at the well with the woman. It's the same Jesus who's sitting with you and I today. We go on and it says that, that Jesus sits by this well and the, the time of day was the sixth hour. 
This is significant. There's only two times in the New Testament where we see this sixth hour mentioned. We see it mentioned in Matthew 27 when Jesus is being crucified. And the Bible says that darkness covered the whole earth. And then we see it again in Acts chapter 10 where Peter goes up at the sixth hour on his roof. And at the sixth hour he has a, he has a dream, he has a vision. And it's where God spoke to Peter and said, you're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to go to Cornelius' house. And the servants from Cornelius came at, in Acts chapter 10. And Peter goes in Acts 10 to Cornelius' house. And at, the Bible says, as he yet spoke, they were baptized with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. In other words, again, I believe that this passage, from the outset we see the symbolism here that, that God is the, the, the heavenly ministry of Christ, that he baptizes in the Holy Ghost and he's come to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist said that, that, that Jesus has come twofold, take away the sins of the world, and he's the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. So again, in, this, in, in the mentioning of the sixth hour, we see the uh, symbolism here of what Christ came to do. In verse 7 it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and, she, and Jesus says to her these interesting words, Give me a drink. Now, she responds with a couple of things. First off, she responds by saying, why in the world are you asking me for a drink? Maybe you've felt that way before and Jesus has asked you to do something. You're like, Jesus, I can never do that. I don't, I don't have the ability, I don't have the skills to do what you're asking me to do. It's just much like Lazarus when Jesus yelled into the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus couldn't come forth. He was dead. That's funny. Ha ha, you can laugh. You can, you, can enjoy, you can enjoy the presence of the Lord this morning. I give you permission. You can laugh. Jesus yelling at this man's tomb, come forth. The very thing the man couldn't do, Jesus is asking him to do. The man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. The very thing the man couldn't do, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Why is it that Jesus often commands us to do the things that we can't do in our own strength? Why? It's because it, it requires his supernatural intervention in our lives. And just maybe God's asking you to do something this morning, like reach out to the hurting that are around you, and you would say, I don't have the ability to do that. Exactly right. It requires a supernatural touch from God in your life to see the hurting and the broken for what they really are. Otherwise, we go through our routine. Jesus could have easily passed this woman up. He could have, when the woman came to get water, he could have got up and moved. The disciples were in town getting food. Jesus could have been hanging out with the disciples. He could have missed the whole moment. But it was, it was the destiny, it was the sovereignty of God at work in this woman's life. And Jesus had the eyes to see her need. And I pray that this morning that you and I will have the eyes, the ability to see supernaturally what God is doing in the lives of the people around us. God, help us not to miss the hurting and the broken that are around us. First off, Jesus appealed to this woman's insecurities. She, wasn't, she didn't feel worthy enough. She had had five husbands. She had gone through, through all of these relationships. Obviously, she had some emotional insecurities and things in her life. And Jesus, as a man, asked her for a drink and appeals to her emotional insecurities. 
What he said to her was, woman, I don't care that, I don't care that you've had five husbands and I don't care that you, you've had all these. Uh, that none of that matters to me. I want to bring healing into your life. I want to bring you into these supernatural living waters. And maybe you're here today and you have emotional hurts and insecurities in your own life and things that would keep you from stepping into the fullness of God. And I would say to you, just like Jesus said to this woman, give me a drink, he's offering you living water today. He's offering you supernatural, life-giving fountains. It's His desire today to bring you into His life-giving streams of living water. And sometimes when He asks you to do something that, that maybe makes you uncomfortable because you're emotionally insecure in that area, don't look at me this morning like you don't know what I'm talking about. Every man in this room has emotional insecurities. You know exactly what I'm talking about. One of the things I, I have an insecurity about is public speaking. I hate getting up in front of people and talking. I, I promise it's true. I hate getting up in, in front of people and talking. I hate mingling and socializing with people. I am the most awkward person trying to chit-chat with people. I, I promise. Ask my wife. I have to push myself. If we're in a social gathering, I always push my wife to the front. You go. I'll stand behind you. And wouldn't you know it, the very thing that God asked me to do is the very area of my life that I have an insecurity in. The very thing that, that God wants to use me in is the very thing that I'm, I don't feel capable of doing. But it's the very area of my life where Jesus says, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be talking in front of people every week. And so if you get anything out of these services, it's all because it's supernatural. It has nothing to do with me. And that's, God appeals to our insecurities and says, I want to take that area of your life where you feel insignificant, and I'm going to do something supernatural with it. Secondly, he appeals to the cultural and religious differences of this woman. When he says, give me a drink, she immediately responds with the religious and the cultural the garbage. Well, you're a Jew, and you're a Samaritan, you're this, and you're that. And Jesus says, I'm going to bypass all of that and give me a drink. I don't care what your background is this morning. I don't care what, what kind of uh, upbringing that you have, what kind of uh, family bringing, religious background. doesn't matter. Jesus extends to you today supernatural life, whatever your background is. You could be Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal. I don't, it doesn't matter. Jesus is extending to you today supernatural life that comes through from the rivers that are flowing from his throne. The Bible says in Revelation that there are rivers flowing from the throne of God today. And these are the rivers of life that he's offering to you and I. It's flowing in this house this morning. I don't know if you, you're aware of the river that's flowing, but there is a river flowing in this place today. And I tell you, man, the, the deeper that river gets, the harder it is to stand up here and talk. It makes me just want to lay down a little bit and just drink in or take off running a little bit. It, it makes me happy when the river flows. His presence makes me happy. His presence is what I live for. It's okay to get happy when His presence is near. It's okay to rejoice when the presence of God is in the house. We were created. You and I were created to respond to His presence. Jesus is sitting at this with this woman, and, and her response was not what Jesus was looking for. He knew what her response was going to be, but it was not the, the desired res response. The response was, give me drink, and the response she initially gave was, you're a Jew. 
You have religious differences. And so I say to you this morning, all you got to do this morning with the presence of God is say, Jesus, I'm here. Just give me a drink. I just need to drink deeply of your rivers this morning. I need to drink deeply of the living waters that are flowing from the throne. And then he also appeals thirdly to her unmet desires. This woman had come to the well to get a drink. But she didn't know what kind of water she needed. She had come for natural water. But inside of her was a desire, was a longing for something more. Inside of her was a desire for something deeper than what she had experienced. She was trying to find it in relationships. She was trying to find it in emotional connections with men who just weren't going to satisfy. Oh, but that morning when she came to the well, or that afternoon when she came to the well, she encountered somebody who offered to her living water, water that was going to change change her situation, water that was going to transform her life, water that was going to bring her out of destruction and despair into life and hope eternal. This morning, Jesus is coming to you and he's saying, I can meet your unmet desires. God, I pray this morning there is a desire in you that's unmet, that's unquenchable. I pray that in, in you this morning there is an unquenchable yearning desire for his presence. I can't get enough of his presence. I can't get enough of him. Man, this, this, this morning we stepped into something new, something fresh. I don't know if you feel it or you sense it, but last week when I was preaching about the atmosphere of heaven and how the, the place was filled with the power of God to heal, I, I felt something step into this room. Not only did I, I listen to the podcast this week, but I felt it on the podcast when I started talking about the presence of the room changing. I felt it come through the podcast, and I feel it here this morning. As we were singing and worshiping this morning, the atmosphere of this room got heavy and thick with the presence of God. I tell you this morning that there is a river that flows from His throne, that if you and I will step into it this morning, that He'll, he'll, he'll begin to feel and to meet those desires for His presence, but it'll leave us yearning and longing for more. You'll get a taste of his goodness today, but I promise he'll leave you desiring more of him. You'll, you'll leave this place with a desire and a hunger to pray in tongues and to worship and to step into his goodness more than you ever had before if you'll just step in this morning. I promise God's doing something supernatural in this place. Whoo! Verse 13, he says, whoever drinks of these waters will thirst again, but whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Every single one of us this morning are drinking from a fountain. You're drinking from cisterns this morning. You're drinking from fountains this morning. All of us drink for something, from something. Man, one of the questions I, that I, I love getting as a pastor was, why can't we drink? The Bible doesn't say you're going to hell if you drink alcohol. And I, I might just step on somebody's toes this morning, but that's okay. You're welcome, welcome to equal opportunity message. Everybody's toes will get stepped on before you leave this morning. I, all I got to say to that is why in the world would you want to drink? When you drink of the Holy Ghost and you take in the goodness of our God. Why would you want anything else but his presence? Man, when I get in and I get a good drink of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that they were acting as drunken fools. When they got so filled up of the Holy Ghost, the, the people around them thought they were intoxicated. They were saying, these men are drunk. And Peter had to stand up and say to them, these men aren't drunk. This is the Holy Ghost. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters so this is what 
this is that. This is what, this is happening in this place. And so I say, Lord, let it increase. I, I, I'm looking around this place this morning. Y'all look pretty sober. And I, 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 I feel like we just, we just got to step in and have a good old drink. And when you, when you get intoxicated on the love of heaven, man, all of those issues and those, those messes and, and issues that you face in life, they don't seem so big anymore. When, when you're dealing with, with the, the broken down car and the, the messed up finances and the, the, the marriage issues and the whatever else you're facing, those things don't seem so bad anymore because you, you've got a good old drink of the Holy Ghost. I find it interesting that Jesus says that you need to have a drink and just a couple of chapters later in John chapter 7, the Bible says that on the last day of the great day of the feast in John 7 verse 37, that Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone's thirsty, whew, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not a, not a sprinkle or a dab will do you, but rivers of living water. The last time I went out to the Mississippi River, we lived obviously in New Orleans on the mouth of that river. That river was not slow moving. It was not just a little dab, but a river is overflowing. It will overpower you and overtake you. Lord, I say let the rivers of heaven flow through me again. Jesus stood up on the last day, the great day of the feast. Just to give you the background on this feast, Jesus is standing up in the middle of a crowd and they are literally pouring out gallons of water and gallons of wine in this, in this offering, new wine. They're pouring out these gallons of liquid all over the place as a drink offering before the Lord. They've, they've recited scripture. They've probably just finished reciting Psalms 118. I love that passage, Psalms 118. I'll read the last couple of verses. They've, they've just finished saying, let's pick up in verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doings. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad now in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. They've just, they've just finished saying, uh, you are God, you're the chief cornerstone. They've, they've prophesied about Christ himself. This is a prophecy about Jesus himself. And Jesus in the middle of that stands up and says, if anyone's thirsty... Can you imagine the eyes that were looking at Jesus in that moment? Who is this man and what is he talking about if anyone's thirsty? Does he not see we've just poured out all of this, all of this water? Does he not see that we've, we've just went through this sacrifice? And Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, in other words, this is just a type and shadow. This is just symbolic of what the real is. If anyone's thirsty, this won't satisfy you. But if you'll come to me and drink, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So I encourage you today, have a drink. Have a big drink of his living waters this morning. He'll satisfy you. In John 4, we continue and it says, Jesus says to her in verse 16, go and call your husband to come here. <laughs> you know, when Jesus deals 
with the issues of our lives. He'll always go to the heart of the matter. And it's not to judge and to condemn us, but it's to get us into the waters. Sometimes you and I have issues in our life that hinder us from stepping full on out into the rivers of his love. Sometimes we have preconceived ideas. Sometimes it's pride. I know no one in this room has pride issues. Sometimes, sometimes that issue of pride gets in the way. Well, what will I look like and what will people think? Drinking's a little messy, you know. If I start looking like those people did in Acts 2, I might, I, you know, I might lose people's respect. I might look a little foolish. I know you've never thought that. I have. I'll never forget. I've, I've been in ministry for a long time, and I'll never forget. When I first came to do I've seen people laugh. I've prayed for people. I've seen, I've seen people fall, roll on the floor, laugh, get baptized. You name it. I've seen people healed. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. All of it. I've seen all of these awesome things in the presence of God. But when I came to New Orleans, I had seen people get hit with supernatural joy, and I, but I had never experienced it for myself. I had seen people laughing uncontrollably in the presence of the Lord, and, and I, I never experienced that. I'd actually heard people talk against it, believe it or not. I'm like, how can, how can joy, you're okay with people crying in church, but if they start laughing, that's a problem. I don't understand that. And I remember sitting in a service, and I'd been baptized in the Holy Ghost. I was familiar with the Holy Spirit. And as I'm sitting in service, our pastor was preaching, and I felt this bubbling on the inside of my belly, in my spirit, man. And I recognized that bubbling. I knew the Holy Ghost was stirring. I thought, oh, no. And I had... I had been brought up in a church that when the pastor was preaching, there was no manifestations, there was nothing. The ushers would carry you, literally carry you out of the service if there was a manifestation during preaching. And I, to me, I just say, let it rip, Lord. I'll preach over it. I've preached over people rolling on the floor laughing. I preached over it all. I said, let it rip, Lord. Just bring it on, Jesus. But that was, the, that was my background. And I felt the Holy Ghost start bubbling up on the inside of me, and I, I, could, I started laughing, and immediately... My hands go over my mouth, and I started laughing, and the laughing started to increase, and I tried to control it, and there was no control in it. I ended up on the floor, rolling with everybody else on the floor, <laughs> laughing uncontrollably in the joy of the Lord. I have no idea where I was going with this story. <laughs> I just thought it was a great story to share with you. <laughs> Oh, the pride. Sometimes our pride gets in the way of us stepping into the presence of God. We don't want to act like one of those foolish people rolling on the floor. And I say, Lord, I stayed, I lived drunk. I, you can ask my wife, for the next two months, I, was in, I stayed in an intoxicated state. I believe that it was during that time that God placed on me a mantle for revival. I had seen supernatural things happen, but I, I had yet at that point had not carried a mantle for revival. And that was a, in that moment, I felt in my life a new mantle for revival come on. And it, I haven't been the same since. And, and that, those two months, I lived for two months. We couldn't go anywhere. I was a mess for two months. We'd go out on the streets trying to witness, and we'd be out trying to witness to people, and I literally, the joy of the Lord would come on me, and I would start laughing in the middle of Jackson Square, which is tourist area, while we're trying to minister to people. I'm laid out on the ground laughing, rolling hysterically. Not the place you want to roll and laugh. 
And I'm not talking about the tourists either. The ground's pretty dirty. And so when the presence of God comes on you, those things don't matter. The pride goes out the window. And, so, and when, when, when Jesus comes and he offers us living water, that same Jesus deals with the issues of our heart that keeps us from stepping on, on into the rivers of his life. This woman had to deal with her issues. Jesus said to her, go get your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. She was trying to cover up. Maybe, maybe Jesus has come to you before. You've been confronted with issues of your heart before, and you're like, yeah, but I don't have that problem. Maybe you're in a little bit of a denial, or maybe you don't want people to know that you have issues. Let me help you. Everyone in this room has issues. You're in good company if you have issues. And Jesus comes and he deals with the issues of our heart and draws us in to his living water. I'll go on a little bit further. He says, the next thing, he says, God is the spirit. She begins to throw out at him the, the whole, her whole ideology on worship. Yeah. Well, I'm supposed to worship here and Jews say I'm supposed to worship there. Jesus says, in verse 24, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. This woman came at him with style and location, and Jesus came back with her with spirit and truth. How many times in church do we say, well, if I'm going to worship the Lord, it's got to be this style, and it's got to be in this location. I gotta, I, if I'm going to worship God, and it's going to be real worship. I know that's never been said. And Jesus addresses that matter very succinctly and says, if you're going to worship, you're going to worship in spirit and truth, not style and not location. In Ephesians 5, we get a picture of genuine worship. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, it says, and do not be drunk with wine. Going back to those who had alcohol issues, we'll say this. Don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. It's interesting that Peter, how many of you would say that Peter probably has a good understanding of what worship is? I think we all can agree that, that Peter understands what real worship is. And Peter says, he makes a comparison here again by being filled with the Spirit and, and, and drunkenness. There's a, when you get filled to overflowing with the Holy Ghost, there, there's, a, there's some similarities there. He says, speaking, verse 19, speaking to one another, I'll preach that sermon another time. We're going to focus on verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submit, oops, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's a, that word submitting is a bad translation. You want to know what it means? It means Submitting means being subject to one another. It says, be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. So what we see here is there is a direct result from spiritual drinking. When you begin to take in the Holy Ghost and you begin to receive from God and you drink of these living waters, there's a direct effect on our worship and how we interact with others. If you have a problem with, with being crass, hard, and interacting with people, you probably need to have a big drink. Now, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you the truth this morning. If you don't like people, you probably need to get a big drink of the Holy Ghost because God loves people. And so when you take in the Holy Ghost, He begins to change your outlook on worship and how you interact with people. The first thing that, Paul, that Peter says here is that you're to... Or, 
uh, Paul, I'm sorry, I said Peter earlier. I let me correct myself. Paul, what Paul says here to the Ephesians is you're to sing psalms when you drink of the Holy Ghost. One that spirit, true, true worship is spirit initiated. True worship comes from a spiritual drinking. And then he says, when you drink, this is what's going to happen. You're going to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What are psalms? The word there for psalms means musical songs set to scripture. These would be choruses like, uh, let God arise on his enemies. You know, these, these types of choruses. Give me a song. I'm going to pick out oldies. What's an old chorus set to a song? Anybody? Jesus loves the little children. Okay, there you go. Something like that. So you're going to, it's an old song set to, set to music. It's a chorus. It's scripture set to music. The second thing he says is hymns. Hymns are sacred songs. Now here's the, here's the thing about sacred songs. Now I know I'm treading on, on, on uneasy soil here. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tread lightly. Here's the thing about hymns. You're, you're not going to be offended. I promise you're going to love this. Hymns, sacred songs, what's sacred to you is not necessarily sacred to someone else. Sacred songs often are those hymns that we grow up on. It's those songs of old that we grow up on and become holy and, and have, a, have a moment in our life. They mean a, a significant moment in our life that, that God spoke to us through those songs and they become sacred to us. And what's sacred to you may not be sacred to someone else. God may have used a different song to speak to someone else. I was in a church one time. And the whole, worship, the whole worship service, everybody was sitting much like you're doing right now. No, I'm just joking. You start talking about style and people get really aggravated. And, and people, people were sitting the whole worship service. And they broke out, and I don't know what song it was. Um, Oh, I know what song. It just came to me. He brought me out of the miry clay. I love that song. Man, that's a good old hymn. You might know that song. He brought me out of the miry clay, set my feet on the rock to stay. Man, I love that song. That's a great hymn. And they started singing that, and the place erupted. And I'm sitting there thinking, now hang on a second. We've been worshiping this whole morning. And because they decided to sing your favorite song you worship... Last time I checked, that's not what Jesus told this woman at Samaria, that you'll worship in spirit and truth, that it doesn't matter what song's being sung, that it's an opportunity to come before his presence with thanksgiving and worship. Y'all are to get happy in this morning that somebody's getting free this morning from, from religious muck and mire, that you can step in in spirit and in truth and sing your, sing your song, sing your hymns, and then sing your spiritual songs. Those are choruses. It's spontaneous prophetic songs of the Holy Ghost. That's what spiritual songs are. It's a spontaneous. And sometimes those spontaneous spiritual songs become hymns and become psalms. But, but this, is, this is how we ought to worship. This is how we ought to worship. We ought to step in to the person of the Holy Ghost. We need to step in to the presence of God and come with, with open arms and ready to worship. God, I thank you for your goodness. It doesn't matter what's happening on stage because worship's overflowing out of my heart. It doesn't matter what song's being sung because worship's overflowing out of me. I've tasted of living waters. Oh, and by the way, Paul goes on to say, Giving thanks always for these things. So the results of worship and the results of drinking is this thankful attitude. And then it says submit to one another. That man, when you come in and you worship God and you drink of his presence, it enables you to honor and respect those around you. It enables you to, to be able to keep your mouth shut and listen to what they're saying even when you don't agree. 
Well, in case some of you think I'm meddling, I'll jump back to my John chapter 4 scripture. John chapter 4, I have two more things and I'll wrap up. Verse 28 says, the woman left her water pot. Man, how significant is this? The very thing that the woman had come to the well for. She had come to get a drink and she left it behind. She'd come to get water, but she tasted that morning, that afternoon of living waters. She came to get, she came to get natural water, but she left with spiritual water on the inside of her. I want to tell you this morning, you may have come this morning to church with your natural water pot. You may have come to get something or to receive something that will make you feel good or feel better about yourself, but I want to tell you this morning. That's not why you're here. You're here to get some some living water on the inside of you. You really came this morning. You may not realize it yet, but you really came this morning to get living water deposited on the inside of you. And if you'll receive this morning, I promise you'll leave your natural water pot behind as well. I promise this morning, if you'll come and drink of the well of his life-giving waters, you'll leave behind your your natural uh, containers behind. Sometimes we try to put our our religious boxes and our containers on things and Jesus just blows those things out of the water and says, let me give you a whole new container. You're going to be the house, you're going to be the reservoir of my spiritual water. And what did this woman do? She immediately went back to town and she started, the Bible says it's interesting, she told all the men. She went back to the people that, that knew her, if you follow what I'm saying. She had had five husbands. Some of you are still connecting the dots. (laughs) She went back to the men of the city and she told them, come meet this man who told me everything I had ever done. Now, I've got to say, in my my rationale and and way of thinking here, if this woman who was known among the men of the city came and said, come meet this man, I have to say, my first thought's probably going to be, she's at it again. This poor woman is at it again. But then she adds the tag, who told me everything I'd ever done. Now, I don't care who you are, but you add the supernatural tag to anything who's told me, my interest is going to get peaked a little bit. Told you, wow, you got an hour? <laughs> Told you what you'd ever, ever done? That's a lot. You've had five husbands. That's a long conversation. And so the woman goes and she begins, in other words, she begins to take this supernatural life-giving water and it begins to bubble out on the people around her. She goes back to the very people that knew her, and she begins to overflow that water in their life. Man, everywhere you and I go, there should be drops of water falling off of us. There should be, there should be living water flowing off of us, affecting the people around us. We should be so overflowing with the water of God. And what does this look like? Man, you come in here on Sundays. You come into your, your devotion time during the week, and you get filled up. You worship God corporately. This is, this is one of the best places to get saturated in the presence of God. We come together corporately and encourage one another and stir one another on and and build each other up and we drink together corporately and you're drinking of the river of the Holy Ghost on your own during the week and then you go out and you overflow in the people's lives around you. And then this last verse, 
And I'll wrap up with this. Um, can you play keys? That'd be great. I'm still learning all the code words around here and trying to figure out who's on first, so I apologize for the unprofessional. Can you play keys? Jesus says in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. And others have labored and you have entered into their labors. In Hebrews 11, verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens, caves of the earth. And these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, these men gave everything they have. These, these people that we read about in Scripture, the, the prophets of old, the people that even in our modern day, Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and those who've gone before, we read their stories and, and we hear how they've laid down their lives for affecting a generation and reaching a dying world. And we come and sit comfortably every week in a service and take nothing that we've received to the lost and dying around us. Jesus told this woman, told the disciples, excuse me, told the disciples when they had come back, I've sent you to labor in fields to reap a harvest. I've sent you out. Look, the fields are white and ready for harvest. I've sent you out to reap a harvest. And he's still saying the same thing to you and I today. I've sent you out among, among the fields. It's time to work the fields. The harvest is ready. It's plentiful. I'm going to close with this story. Jesus is coming back, and one day we will all sit around the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've all heard the story. There's coming a day where we'll sit and have a good party in heaven and rejoice in the things that God's done for us and how He set us free. I'm looking forward to that day. But let's just say for a moment, you get pulled up your, you know, to the table at, the, at your seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're sitting there. You've got your seat and you're hundreds and thousands of people sitting and feasting. And everybody's talking, getting to know the people that they're sitting next to and hearing their stories. And you're sitting across from a little girl. And you begin to ask this girl, what's your story? What did Jesus do in your life? And this little girl looks back at you and said, well, I'm from Rome. And my daddy was a Christian. And he told us about Christ. And I got born again at an early age. 
And one day, these soldiers came to our house and said to my dad, we told you to stop telling people about Jesus. And they dragged my daddy away. And they, they grabbed me and my mom. They took us off also. And one day, we were taken to this large coliseum And I finally saw my daddy again. They drug us out into the middle of this coliseum. And they put us out in the middle. And all these people were looking at us. And all these people were watching us. It was me and my mom and my dad. And then all of a sudden, doors all over the coliseum began to open up. And lions began to come out of those doors. I met Jesus that day. I came to heaven and I stood before him and I saw him with my eyes. The same Jesus. Who, the same Jesus that saved me at an early age. I saw him for myself that day. And she looks back at you at that buried supper of the Lamb and says, so what's your story? What's your story going to be? What's Jesus done for you today? I don't want to sit at that table with not a story. I don't want to sit at a table where Jesus gave his life for me. I don't want to sit at a table with Jesus and those that have laid down their lives and I don't have a story. I want to be able to say, this is what God's done in my life. This is how I've glorified Him with my life. He laid down His life for me and I was willing to lay down my life for Him. What's your story today? What's Jesus doing in your life today? And how are you giving what he's doing in your life away?